Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, as we review the whole of the Premier League weekend in the company of Darren Lewis, the assistant editor of the Mirror and Talk Sports football correspondent Alex Crook. On the way, Klopp kiboshed at the Emirates. Everton's unbeaten record has gone. Chelsea chomped through Wolves and City Wolves past Saints. Plus, West Ham win. Just about. We'll get to it on Talk Sport. Plays a 1 2 with De Bruyne back into Haaland. Oh, what a finish! Inevitable from Erling Haaland. And Armando Brogia has his first Chelsea goal. Belted the ball into the bottom corner beyond the dive of Jose Sarr. It is Chelsea 3, Wolves nil. Bruno has stolen the show. 52,000 at St James's. They've seen Newcastle 5, Brentford 1. Oh, what a turnaround. Bournemouth 2, Leicester City 1 from 1 0 down at half time. Harry Kane back on target again for Spurs. It's Brighton nil, Spurs one. West Ham three, Fulham one, all wrapped up for West Ham. Mikel Antonio has slotted it home. Eze took it past one least defender and then calmly slotted the ball in the back of the net. A lovely Crystal Palace goal. It's Crystal Palace two, Leeds one. Saka sends the ball into the bottom corner. Beyond Allison, who went the right way. Two for Mateo Saka, three for Arsenal. One, the position they're heading in the Premier League table. It's Arsenal 3, Liverpool 2. For Ronaldo to scamper into the left channel and get into the Everton box. He drives it left-footed and scores his 700th club career goal. And just when you thought Ronaldo was out, he pulls himself back in and he gets the goal that has put Manchester United in front. Well, hello, one and all. A very happy Alex Crook because um, mediocre Manchester United have beaten Everton and all of a sudden now they're going to win the league. He sent me a text message last night, Darren, saying how much he enjoyed that performance. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Uh, they used to chase Liverpool's haul of 20 titles. Now they're, now they're absolutely delighted that they've ended Everton's unbeaten record. It's not a it, it, little bit out of context. I thought they played well. Listen, and you know there, there are teams who've been beaten this weekend, and United weren't one of them. So uh, listen, you've got to enjoy the highs. <laughs> yes, he was referring there, Darren, to uh, Arsenal three, Liverpool two. Are you, are you feeling okay about that, or are you still a little bit uh, down in the dumps? 
I have to confess, I am still a bit down in the dumps. I have no idea who these guys are, but will they please leave the Premier League and return my <laughs> beloved Liverpool back to me? Uh, these guys are imposters. Um, yeah, Arsenal back to the top of the table. Eight home wins in a row. They've been cut to 13-5 to five, uh, for uh, the title. I mean, Darren, first of all, Try to put your Liverpool bias aside for a second and just assess that Arsenal performance. They were they were pretty good again, weren't they? Exceptional. Living up to the hype. Goals, guile, defensive now as well. Okay, Liverpool did manage to carve them open a couple of times, but they are coping with the pressure that's been heaped on them by all of the people who praise them for what they're doing. Arteta's doing a fine job. And I don't just mean in these nine games. I mean, over the difficult moments last season when everybody thought he'd lose his job, he's doing brilliantly. Um, it obviously, trust the process. That was the big thing from Mikel Arteta. Uh, it's trusting it's trust the process, Alex, making sure that you get kicked from behind by Thiago, go down screaming and get a penalty. Yeah, it was a little bit soft. Um, but I think on the balance of play, <laughs> Arsenal deserve the win. I think they were the better side. I think yeah. they were brave. Um, I think you can see the confidence now that is flowing through the team. I actually fancy that Liverpool may even win the game uh, when I saw that there was no Zinchenko, Tierney left on the bench. Bold decision uh, from Mikel Arteta to go with Tommy Asu, a left back. But obviously, they got off the perfect start. Nice couple of assists from Trent Alexander-Arnold. But there's nothing to see there because uh, there's no problem with his defending. And Mo Salah, poor again for Liverpool. So all of the issues that we highlighted on the pod last week, all of the issues that Darren Lewis did his best to bat away came to rear their ugly head. Yeah, I don't think most of those issues actually made it to the pod because me and Darren had such a blazing row about <laughs> Trent and the defending that it all got cut out. <laughs> but Liverpool defensively are quite poor, uh, Darren. Not wanting to finger point, but could you see anywhere where they could improve? Well, just on a point of order, I did point out last season, uh, last week rather, it's not just Trent. I didn't say Trent didn't have an issue. It's okay for a footballer mm. to be out of form, and he's out of form. Mm. I yes. simply said that the the problem is with the entire team. And if you looked at that performance yesterday, you could see the issue is with the team. Yes, they can score goals still because they've got to touch a class up front. But elsewhere in, uh, around the pitch, there's no intensity, there's no tackling, there's no positional awareness suddenly. I have no idea where it's come from, but I, I don't think it's going to... Let's say, for example, you drop Trent for next week against City. I do not think the performance will be markedly better. And that's all I was at pains to say. Yeah, last 12 games, 16 goals conceded, 10 first times uh, concession. So basically the last uh, uh, in the last 12 games, they've conceded the goal uh, 10 times at first, two clean sheets, previous 12 games, three goals conceded, two first goal concessions and 10 clean sheets. So basically that just shows a, a, a marked difference in the way that they are approaching it. The truth is, is that they need to sort it out very quickly because they've got Champions League games in midweek and then... They've got Manchester City at the weekend. I mean, the way things are going at the moment, Manchester City are going to rip them apart, Crook. You can only see one outcome um, because let's be honest, Manchester City are on a different plane, different stratosphere uh, to Arsenal. It's, it's unfortunate for Arsenal just when they, they found some form and found some rhythm and genuine momentum. They're, they're competing with one of the best sides the Premier League has ever seen, arguably the best striker the Premier League has ever seen. And Pep Guardiola would have been watching that Liverpool performance, particularly from a defensive point of view, and 
Again, we're going to win comfortably. And it is alarming. And here's a question for you, Darren Lewis. I know that Jurgen Klopp will have credit in the bank. He's done remarkable things at Anfield. But when do question marks start to be asked about the manager? How long does this run go on for of poor performances before actually people start pointing the finger at the man in the dugout? It's a ruthless business, football. Football management, we know that. You are right. But Liverpool are not that kind of club. I think they'll sit down and they'll work out um, what... The team is lacking. They're a club that has huge faith in uh, Klopp. Last week, he was talking about there not being a seven-year itch because, of course, a couple of his previous clubs, he had stayed for seven years and then things did start to go wrong. Um, But there were mitigating circumstances back then. I wonder if it's more of a case that there are some players in this team, particularly in midfield, that maybe he needs to make a a few decisions around. But I don't think you are crazy enough to throw a manager overboard after nine games of a season that follow him winning two domestic cups, the Champions League, the Premier League. You get... Say again? On penalties. Did they win or not? They did, yeah. Just, just, Just state the fact. Uh, just um, look. The fact is, is that he has got a lot of credit, and um, whereas Crook is a loan shark, <laughs> who as soon as things start to go wrong, he makes emergency action. Um, and Darren Lewis and Liverpool are a bit more like a building society, and they'll work with him to try and get it right um, to ensure that they get repaid. Um, but um, they, they, there are serious issues here in that yeah, Mo Salah has stopped firing eight non-penalty goals in his last 23 games since the AFCON. I've done the stats before about the AFCON and the World Cup playoff and the drop-off in form since then for him. You know, it, it, it's a worrying sign, really, that there are certain components of this team that don't seem to be firing all over the pitch. And I wonder whether or not that is to do with the fact that this is a team that played 63 games last season. They worked incredibly hard at an unbelievable intensity. And actually, it's got to the point where they're just knackered. Like, you know, a lot of people would be if they did that. You know, you can't continue that forever. Sometimes you just need a little bit of a rest. So you're saying maybe the World Cup will come at a good time for Liverpool and Mo Salah in particular? Yeah, the World Cup will come at a great time for Liverpool. They'll have a rest after the World Cup. They'll crack on. They'll come from 14 points behind and challenge for a Champions League place. I, that's that's what Liverpool do when things are when the chips are down. I'm sure that they'll that they'll they'll put in a uh, a challenge to get into the the top four. I'm almost certain about it, Darren. What do you think? I'm not I'm not so sure. Um, I think there are a lot of Liverpool players that will be going to the World Cup. First of all, I think you make a great point about the intensity of last season, not just in terms of the number of games, but the emotional intensity as well. The disappointment of uh, losing the Champions League final. Um, of course players will say no it's behind us and we go again but they're human and they, they, they that will almost certainly have had an impact I, I just think when you look at these players they are not the same players that maintain the magnificent level of consistency over the past couple of seasons and rather than sort of looking for scapegoats and people to chuck overboard it's about finding out why and I, I don't think this season's... Yesterday I saw people say, oh, it's only mind games. And I see headlines today, Monday morning, when we were recording this, saying, oh, the club's ruled um, Liverpool out of the title race. Really? I mean, they were never in the title race after the first few games because City's level is so high and Liverpool, they've, they, they've yet to sort out what the problem actually is. 
couple of other big incidents that happened in the game, including the incident with Gabriel Jesus, where he appeared to be knocked out cold and was allowed to come back on to the pitch in quick succession. He was unintentionally clipped by the elbow of the Liverpool defender, Costas Simicas. He looked very dazed. Medics came on. Uh, protocols require any player showing symptoms of concussion to leave the pitch and be replaced by a concussion substitute, which does not impact on the five regular substitute. But Jesus was allowed to return and then he was involved in another collision. Um, that didn't appear to me to be the right thing to do, Crook. No, there was a similar situation actually <clears throat> in the game that I covered, covered Palace uh, against Leeds, uh, a nasty head wound for Jordan Ayew, got bandaged up, came back on. Looked a bit groggy, ended up going off in the second half. So I still think there's uh, there's a lot of work to be done uh, when it comes to these concussion substitutions. I don't think the clubs uh, necessarily are taking the protocol seriously. And the fact it happened twice in the same afternoon really backs that up. Obviously, uh, in the case of Jesus, he, he stayed on and, and made a real impact winning that penalty. Yeah, uh, we should point out the fact that Arsenal played very well. They've played very well all season. They scored three goals against Liverpool. Not a mean feat. Martinelli was absolutely terrific in the game, but we do have to move on. It's worth saying that the FA have launched an investigation into an incident on the pitch during Arsenal's 3-2 win over Liverpool that took them back to the top of the league. The referee, Michael Oliver, interrupted the game to speak to both managers, Mikel Arteta and Jurgen Klopp, um, about an incident thought to have been a verbal exchange between two players. Neither manager revealed what Oliver has said and the FA didn't give away any details. And until those details come out, obviously we cannot um, speculate about what it is. Um, Everton 1, Manchester United 2. It was live on TalkSport. I was at Goodison Park last night. It was a positive evening for Manchester United after last week's hammering to Manchester City. But it wasn't a very good game, Darren. It was very scrappy. A lot of uh, balls given away in the middle of the park. Manchester United dominated possession. Everton really didn't get going, despite the fact that they scored the opener. And really, I mean, it was just a it was just a bit one pace, no real. I mean, I went to City the day before, right? Okay, and City played in second gear, and the way they pop the ball around and manipulate the ball and. And, and, and the swagger with which they play, I mean, is alien to what we saw on Sunday night. I mean, the amount of ball that Casemiro gave away in the first half, I mean, he got better in the second half, to be fair to him, but it was it was quite troubling. Idrissa Garnagay, I think, gave the ball away more than he passed it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, the interesting thing is all of that you've just mentioned, and yet the first goal, stunning quality for it. And then you've got a landmark goal for oh, it. Brilliant, yeah. Um, so it, it's almost like jewels in the rough, uh, in some respects, I was pleased for Manchester United. It I, not necessarily it pains me to say it because of them, but because of Crook, I, I, it pains me to say it. But in terms of the club, things are turning around. He's playing his players. He's playing his way, and they are scoring goals and winning games. And the recovery looks on. I think in terms of the confidence coming back, that's key. Ronaldo, uh, listen, I'm very much of the uh, camp that I respect Ronaldo. He is and remains a legend and he always will be a legend by definition. But it is time for the club and the team to be re-energised with younger, more mobile players. Yes, he can score goals, but only when they put pretty much put on a plate for him these days as they try to in the Europa uh, League last Thursday night when at, at times it was just becoming ridiculous, the, the, the amount they were trying to tee up the ball for him. Brilliant player, superb athlete, competitor, role model, 
and we want to retain his services in the Premier League. But I think this was... Now that he's got to the landmark, I think even he recognises that maybe it's time to pass the baton on to the younger players to carry the club forward. Yes, uh, despite all that uh, stuff about it being scrappy and not the most entertaining game in the world, the big headline is Ronaldo scores his 700th club goal. Um, Darren says that Eric Ten Hag is playing his way. It's not really his way. It's a way that he's had to adapt to get the best out of the team that he's got. What he's done is he's turned them back into a counter-attacking team because that's what they're good at and that's where both the goals came from. Two quick turnovers in midfield. All of a sudden, Ronaldo was away down that left-hand side and he produced a stunning finish. So, Crook, you can now sing the Ronaldo song because we know you're desperate to pay tribute to your hero. It's a fantastic milestone. Um, and I did post on social media uh, a picture of Where's Ronaldo celebrating last night proclaiming him the GOAT. I think he is in, in terms of goal scorers. He had a pretty miserable night, as Darren's alluded to, on Thursday. Great character from him to bounce back and, and come up with a winning moment. I'm disappointed that Anthony Martial is injured again. Um, and, you know, he picks up far too many injuries for my liking. But I think you're being harsh on the game. I genuinely enjoyed it. I think um, United didn't deserve to be behind. Again, they reacted well. Peppered Everton for the rest of that first half. I think Rashford's a little bit unfortunate. My son has texted me this morning and said, why was Rashford's goal disallowed? He loves Marcus Rashford. I said it was handball, but it was, wasn't really, was it? I mean, crikey. It was a great finish from it Rashford. Was. Should have stood, in my opinion. <laughs> well, no, it You don't want to see goals like that rolled out for, for the, for the uh, most under, minuscule... Under the laws handball. of the game... <laughs> Under the laws of the game, law 12, um, it is a handball. Um, this is what the law the says. It is a handball offence if a, a player scores in the opponent's goal immediately after the ball has touched their hand or arm, even if accidental. It's a rubbish and law. Get rid of it. <laughs> that's the law. So it is handball. So you can't really have a go at the VAR and the, the referee for ruling it out because they just followed the laws of the game. Um, you, you say I'm harsh on it, but you know, ultimately, you, you said that United didn't deserve to be behind. They went behind after six minutes. So it, there's no deserving. They'd only played for five minutes and Everton had scored, had their first chance of the game and scored it. And that was because uh, Casemiro got dispossessed in midfield by Anana and they turned the ball over quickly and reacted really well. I, I think they missed chances, Manchester United. They played passes that weren't put... The, the right ball at the ro- at the right time when they got into Everton area. They didn't really test. Jordan Pickford wasn't making save after save after save. And against an Everton team, really, which at the end of last season was struggling to stay in the league, and this season are putting together binary performances, one nils, nil nils, one nils, one nils. I would have expected a little bit better from a team that included the GOAT, um, Ericsson, Fernandez. Marcus Rashford apparently is reborn and is wonderful again, even though he scored five goals and two of them against Ammonia Nicosia. I don't think Manchester, I don't think you should get carried away with Manchester United because they've beaten Everton. I think they're a good upper half team, nothing more than that at this moment in time, and they will eventually get better over time, but it's going to take a long time. And speaking to Eric Ten Hag afterwards, pretty much said the same thing. He said there were points in the first half where we played quite well. In the second half, Everton had chances to get back in the game, especially in the last five minutes. They threw everything at uh, the United goal and it required a save from David De Gea. Even Jordan Pickford nearly scored. Good defending actually by Varane to get up and head the ball away from him from that corner kick. I just don't think it was, it was that great. It wasn't that bad. 
but it wasn't worth shouting about. It was just a win. And when you're a sort of upper mid half team, then you win some and you lose a couple and you drop points here and there. But, you know, ultimately, you know, let's not get a megaphone out and start saying we're back. Like you did last night. I never said, I never said we're back. In a little private WhatsApp group. It was like, yeah, well, I'm happy with it and uh, we'll be back again. And I'm enjoying it again. I I like them again. So it's okay. It's it's true. Listen, how many times have I been on this podcast moaning and blasting Manchester United players? I don't have too many complaints with the performance last night. I like Anthony at three and three in the Premier League. He settled in very nicely. And their record at Goodison Park, Sam, as I'm sure you pointed out during your excellent commentary, on TalkSport is abysmal. That has become a bogey ground for Manchester United. They've fallen behind. You think, oh no, here we go again. And they've come back and won the game. I'm very satisfied this Monday morning. Are United title challengers? Of course they're not. Are they making progress under a good coach? Yes, they are. That'll do for me. Five wins in uh, 15 league visits to Goodison Park. Darren, what did you want to say? Are they in course for the top four? I think they're contenders for the top four. Of course they are. How could they not be? They're fifth. No. They've beaten, no. they've beaten Liverpool. They've beaten Arsenal. The only team to do so. They are in the race. Whether they will win the race is open to debate, but they are in the race. They won't finish above either Man City, Chelsea, Arsenal, Tottenham, or Liverpool. They'll finish above Liverpool. They won't. I, I feel a side bet coming on. <laughs> Everton's unbeaten run comes to an end. Uh, but, you know, there was some positivity in that. And uh, it will be, I thought, it's a man transformed under Lampard. I spoke to him last night. You know, this is a guy who got, has got the confidence of the coach. And he is a very, very good technical player. I think he's been very impressive. The goal was absolutely outstanding. Um, so I, I think Frank Lampard deserves props for building, not building the team around him, but making him a central cog in that team. Uh, Crystal Palace 2, Leeds United 1. Crookie covered this game for TalkSport International. Uh, We'll get to Crook in just a second. A game of two halves, really, because, Darren, Leeds played well in the first half. In fact, very well in the first half. Palace weren't very good, but as seemingly happens quite a lot with Crystal Palace, in the second half, they were much better. Yeah, um, and that's down to the manager, giving the players the belief. uh, And also, I've said from quite some time and I know you guys like to have a little dig at me but I like the fact that players at the football club are taking responsibility they're not just relying on Wilfred Zaha to pull something out of the bag for them they know that they have goals in them if they believe in themselves and that comes as I said from the manager so I'm not not surprised to see them pick a point up yes they'd only had I think it was one win in their previous seven but they had played four of the top six in that time so maybe that run was a little bit um, misleading and I'm sure I'm sure we all know I've said many times how much I rate Patrick Vieira I know there's a lot of confidence at the club in the job that he's doing and we're now starting to see them start to find their feet and I would imagine they'll start to climb the table too yeah, um, Abericieze's goal was particularly impressive, wasn't it, Crook? Um, but it was uh, a pretty uh, fascinating display for a number of different reasons. First of all, Bamford made his first start in two months. How did he look? Because Leeds United are now in a situation where they need him back as that sort of keystone at the front of their formation. No wins in five now against teams that they should be beating. Yeah, it's a poor run. Uh, Bamford had a big chance at 1-0 up. Leeds were dominating the game. Uh, at that point, they dominated the first 35 minutes. He puts his shot pretty much straight at the goalkeeper and it turns out to be a huge turning point 
Palace score not only with their first shot on goal, their first touch in the opposition penalty area. A good header from Odson Edouard, terrific free kick from Elise, another very talented young player. And as you say, the winner uh, from Eze was fitting to settle any contest. Palace played better in the second half. Leeds didn't really get going after half time. And I think they are one of those sides who will be looking nervously now towards the bottom three. It's very competitive bottom half of the Premier League table. As you say, the run they've been on, uh, not just the fact that they're winless in five now, the fact they're not putting teams away that maybe they would have been expected to. So they're a work in progress. They made a lot of changes in the summer. Bamford tired in the second half before being taken off. They need him to stay fit. Absolutely no question about that. But an important win for Palace. If they'd lost that game, I'd have started to worry about them. Uh, since the start of last season, only Leicester have dropped more points from winning positions than Leeds United away from home in the Premier League. 15 of them, they surrendered a 1-0 lead at Selhurst Park yesterday. Um, Decore, should he have been sent off for a tackle on Adams in the first half, Group? It's probably, to use your description, in between a yellow and a red card. I don't think there was quite enough there for a sending off. It was a nasty tackle. But I think he maybe should have been sent off for fouls that happened after that. I think he was very fortunate to escape a second yellow card. So if there is a complaint from Leeds, I think it's probably that as opposed to the actual initial challenge that he was booked for. Okay. Um, did you know that Eberich Yeze is a, a chess fan and that he and Michael Elise uh, play games on their phone? They play games of chess on their phone all day, every day. They've been doing it for six months. I didn't. It's a good one. I, you, you could have told me that before the game. I, I just yeah, hope it would have helped with your uh, commentary, wouldn't exactly. it? I just hope that none of them um, cheat in the manner of some of the guys who have been maybe employing a bit of gamesmanship elsewhere. Oh, really? Mm. Do you not okay. know about the big chess scandal? <laughs> the what? The big chess scandal. Oh, yes, there's a big chess scandal involving the world champion, isn't there? And uh, isn't that sort of like an investigation that's still ongoing? I mean, listen, it's not my primary sport, Darren. I'm going to be honest with you. I heard a whisper about it, but I don't, I, I, I'm not the chess correspondent. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what. Nor do I think that I would ever take show, it up. I will just say Google it for yeah. on that one. All right, okay. Um, West Ham 2, Fulham 1, another Sunday uh, afternoon game. Uh, two wins in a row for West Ham. Skamaka scores again. Um, looks as if they're finding their mojo. But what about the goal? It was a bit contentious. Should it have been ruled out for handball, Darren? I, I don't think it did. I was at the game. And uh, it took three minutes for the VAR, Michael Salisbury, to look at it, look again, look again. And then in the end, he, he instructed Chris Kavanagh to allow the goal to stand. The ball did bounce up, but I don't think it was controlled by the arm of Skamaka. It didn't deviate uh, in terms of uh, uh, there being any kind of contact. And I thought it was a legitimate goal. What was quite interesting was that Skamaka didn't celebrate initially. It's very muted. And it was only when Chris Kavanagh allowed the goal to stand that he did start to let rip. On the touchline, Marco Silva went berserk and was shown a yellow card. But after the match in the post in, in press conference, Marco Silva said, I don't want to speak about the referee. All I will say was that he was embarrassed to give the goal. 
And I think that might still earn him a little uh, letter from the FA. Um, and I have, a, you know, my views on, on that. It's, it's, it's ridiculous that everyone can have a view on the game except uh, and the referee's performance, except the people who are directly affected by it. It's crazy. But uh, I, I, crazy. I, I think that um, the goal should have been allowed to stand. I, I, I am with West Ham on that one. I think the, the, the key point here is, is that you can't tell from the replay. And Gianluca Scamacca becoming the ninth player to score in his first two home games for West Ham United in the Premier League. And the first since who in October 2014? Any guesses? Any guesses? Any guesses? Ooh, Dimitri Payet? Nope. 2014. It does begin with a D, though. Does that help? Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Sacco. Yeah. I think he went on a seven-match run at the time. He had he had a fabulous run, and then he developed a back injury, and and that put him out. And then he could never quite pick up that form again. But there was a he, he simply could not sc- stop scoring, and um, they would only picked him up for a, a, something like three million pounds from uh, the French second division. He was a fabulous player for West Ham, but sadly, injury cut his time there short. Okay, let's get to Saturday in the Premier League because it was banging. Plays a 1-2 with De Bruyne back into Haaland. Oh, what a finish. Inevitable from Erling Haaland to make it Manchester City 4, Southampton 0. And the referee blows the full-time whistle and Manchester City are top of the Premier League for around 24 hours at least. And Armando Brozier has his first Chelsea goal. Very good finish, connected the ball neatly, belted the ball into the bottom corner beyond the dive of Jose Sarr. It is Chelsea 3, Wolves near. Newcastle 5, Brentford 1, but it's an own goal. I think this one has come off Ethan Pinnock. Newcastle cruising to three points here. They're not careful, they're going to be up to fifth. Oh, what a turnaround. Bournemouth 2, Leicester City 1 from 1-0 down at half-time. The Cherries in front, in front of their new owner, Ryan Christie, the Scotland international, to dispatch his shot beyond Danny Ward from point-blank range. Back to the drawing board. For Brendan Rodgers, it will be one victory from nine in the Premier League. They will stay rooted in the relegation places. And Spurs have won here by a goal to nil. Harry Kane's goal on 21 minutes was the one that separated the two sides. I had a rare day off on Saturday, so I went to Manchester City for Southampton nil. Did you know um, that 14 Premier League clubs have failed to outscore Erling Haaland this season? And if the table was decided only on goals scored... Haaland would be seventh. <laughs> That's pretty impressive, isn't it? 15 goals in the Premier League uh, this season. Um, look, they steamrolled Southampton. Haaland did only get one. He got very frustrated throughout the game and he got more and more sort of like angry. I was sitting watching it from the halfway line quite high up in the Colin Bell stand and... Um, He went through after about five minutes and hit the inside of the post and everybody was like, oh, he's not going to score today. It's going to be one of those days. We're not going to see him score. And actually it was quite fascinating because now it feels a little bit like everyone's just turning up 
to go and see Erling Haaland score and be able to turn around to their friends and say, I've seen him score in the in the flesh live. Almost like there was a couple of neutrals around me watching the game as well. And I, you know, I was one of them. So I was doing the same thing. Almost like football tourism going to see Erling Haaland score a goal. And the frustration that he hadn't done until about the 60th minute was sort of palpable. Uh, loads of kids wearing Haaland shirts and getting behind them. They, 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 it was so easy for them. So easy for them. It was absolutely frightening. Um, Darren, obviously, they're, I mean, they look unstoppable. They're still not top of the table, but they do look unstoppable. I, I, I sort of can't really think of a question here because how do you stop them seems a bit stupid. Yeah, um, and, and that's not... I, I think you make an excellent point because if you set up to stop Haaland, Foden will open the scoring as he did last week in a Manchester derby. Cancelo yeah. will produce a moment of magic as he did on Saturday. De Bruyne will probably curl one in he was terrific. 25 yards. He was terrific yet again. Absolutely. And in a way, I think it was fitting that the supporting cast got the credit they deserve on Saturday rather than Haaland. But the point is, if you set up to stop him, someone else will open the scoring. You will have to come out and play. When you do that, you'll open up the space in behind and he will kill you. The thing about Haaland himself is that he is now eight goals away from the total that clinched the golden boot last season, Son Heung-min and Mohamed Salah. He has 20. <laughs> You'll probably get them against Liverpool, Darren. Well, well yeah, he probably will. Listen, I, 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 you know I mean? The amount of space Liverpool gave Brighton last week and Arsenal this week, five goals have conceded in two games. He might get that, you're right, double hat-trick and be two away by the end of uh, play next weekend. Look, I think with all of the people coming to watch him, I can understand why. Because even I, I've been watching football for 25 years, um, 22 of them with the Daily Mirror, and I get excited about Erling Haaland. I get excited about watching him. I get excited about him being in the Premier League, about the Premier League having a a genuine world superstar Almost at the start, if you like, of his... I know he's been at Dortmund and, 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 and Salzburg and whatnot. But as he starts to take flight, if you like, and, and I think anybody listening to this, if you can go and watch him, go watch him, say that you've seen him score, because in the flesh, he is just awesome. His movement, his ability to link play. Some people say that he's nothing without the people behind him, but he does have a couple of strings to his bow. And... um I, I just love the fact that now, unlike most seasons, no, but if you were to say he could score 50 goals, someone else would say, oh, that's ridiculous. But actually, is it? Is it? No, not when you've scored 15 after uh, eight games. Uh, he's got uh, 145 club career goals now um, in a very short period of time. He's only 22, as we've mentioned. So poor old Cristiano Ronaldo has just set the record for 700, but actually Erling Haaland's already bearing down. He's probably going to get a thousand goals. <laughs> um, let's turn our attention to Southampton uh, because they're turning on Ralph Hasenhutl. Now I've got to be honest with you, Crook. I know you defended him on Twitter, but I thought it was a very poor performance from Southampton. In fact, I'd go as far to say I thought they were dreadful um, they had one touch in the Manchester City penalty area. Now, you're not expected to go to Manchester City and win, but they went there last year and drew. They drew with them down at St. Mary's as well. The truth of the matter is, is they went with no intention to try and win that game. They just tried to not get beat by nine. 
maybe that's the right thing to do. I don't know, but they ended up losing four. It was a nothing performance. Defending was poor. Salasu, not good enough. Uh, the boy in midfield, uh, Diallo, oh. giving the ball away far too much. Poor, poor, poor. It was it was not a very good performance at all by my, uh, by Southampton. And once the first goal went in, that was it. Everybody just gave up. You know, after 80 minutes, once the fourth goal had gone in, it was 80 minutes, we were sitting there and no one was doing anything. City weren't really bothering to go forward because they were thinking about what was going to happen on uh, Tuesday night when they play their Champions League game. And Southampton had sort of well, they'd given up about an hour ago anyway, so there was not much point the last 10 minutes. What's the future for Ralph? I think it's bleak. Um, I did defend him on Twitter on Saturday night just because I think Southampton fans, some of them, not all of them, have short memories because this is a guy who I think has worked wonders just to keep them competitive in the Premier League with a Chinese owner who didn't want to spend any money. Obviously, the takeover has gone through over the summer. I spoke to Carl Walker-Peters for Talk Sport last week and I said it's inevitable, isn't it, that you've signed so many young players, the youngest squad in the Premier League. There are going to be bumps in the road, but... He doesn't seem to have any credit in the bank with Southampton fans. That The owners are aware of that. And I think ultimately that toxicity will be his undoing. I think he'll probably limp on to West Ham at the weekend if they lose that game. Maybe if they don't win that game, then I think possibly Southampton will make a change. But I, I still think he deserves a lot of credit. And I didn't like some of the vitriol on, on social media. And I'm the first person to... To dish out vitriol. To any manager I think is underperforming, I just think is a little bit harsh. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Dear Ralph, <laughs> I'm really sorry that things haven't worked out for you <laughs> at Southampton. But if you've got any room in your heart, please accept this invitation to meet me at my local pub on Friday night when I would like to take you out for a pint. I've been trying to do this throughout the entirety of your tenure. So far, you've ignored my advances. However, just once before you leave, can we clink glasses and say, Prost. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> Let's move on. Uh, Newcastle 5. 
Brentford won. <laughs> Newcastle celebrating a year of Saudi ownership by thumping Brentford. Uh, where does Bruno Gamares rank amongst the best midfielders in the Premier League, Darren? What a performance by him. He was very impressive. And, you know, the interesting thing about Gamares is that he takes responsibility. No San Maximen, no Alexander Isak, but no problem as far as Newcastle are concerned. Two fine goals, but an all-round solid performance as well. And sometimes when you're under pressure, you do need players to stand up. Two big things about him. One is that he does have that consistency and he has shown it since he arrived at the club. And the other is that the price tag isn't weighing him down. Again, it could have been easy for that to be the case with so much expected of him. And the fact that, you know, the Newcastle fan base is a very demanding fan base. But he's lived up to it. He's relishing it. He's a fan's favourite. And whoever they get, and I think it wouldn't surprise me if already Newcastle are looking at higher calibre players to play in front of him and around him because this is a guy who you build your team around. And and, and it's quite, I'm going to contradict myself slightly here because I like the way they built the team anyway. I like the fact that they've built from the back. That was where they started, the likes of Botman and Trippier and uh, the left back target. Uh, I mean, they really, and, and Pope they brought in as well. They really wanted to build on stable foundations. And I think that's a big part of giving Grimarish the platform to express himself, a really good player. Um, Miguel Amaron's done very well, has, hasn't he? I mean, he's showing his best form since he's been at Newcastle United. They seem to have unlocked that potential that we all knew was there. Eddie Howe has unlocked that potential that we all knew uh, was there. And interestingly, he's posting better numbers than Jack Grealish, who, uh, who I think, I think he tried to poke fun at him once. I can't remember <laughs> if that was the case, but I think it was on a bus somewhere. I don't know. Uh, not, not Jack Grealish's finest hour, but it's no surprise that Eddie Howe and his coaching staff are getting the best out of a talent like Mickey Almiron because that's been a trademark of Eddie Howe's managerial career. He is uh, brilliant with the forward players and the atmosphere at St. James's Park. I know there was a banner uh, poking fun at our own Simon Jordan, but I'm told the mood in the city is as good as it's been probably since those Kevin Keegan days when they were title contenders. And uh, Bruno has become the poster boy, I think, of that. They took him to their hearts right from the start. And I think actually he surprised the coaches um, with how good he is in terms of goals and assists. They signed him as you know very much someone who would, who would break up the play in midfield. But there's a lot more to his game than that. And uh, I think the future is very bright for Newcastle. And it just shows what a difference a couple of weeks makes because a couple of weeks ago, we were maybe suggesting Newcastle had underwhelmed at the start of the season. They're certainly not underwhelming anymore. And I worry a bit for Brentford. I watched them at Bournemouth. I thought it was a very stodgy performance. They didn't deserve to win the game. Obviously, last season, they were relying on Christian Eriksen to keep them up when their form tailed off. And they are one of the teams, I think, who, who could be in danger if they, if they keep defending as they did. And there were some gift goals in there for Newcastle. Um, it, it was an interesting banner. I think we should probably draw attention to it. It was like a big sort of breaking news banner at the bottom with loads of pictures of it's done, Newcastle United celebrations of the takeover. And it was because um, Simon had said it was deader than a dead thing. In Deadland. I, I mean, in Deadland a long time ago. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, the fact that the Gallagate are reacting to Simon Jordan, I think it's probably a good thing for Simon Jordan in a weird way. I'm sure he quite likes the notoriety that comes uh, with it. Um, what should we expect for Newcastle this season, Darren, do you think? Um, I think they're more top four challengers than Manchester United. Oh, stop having yeah, a pop. They won the game. Move on. 
<laughs> Ooh, I'm just winding him up. I got so much of a bite of him last night. I've, do you know what? This is all to do with the fact, right? I'm going to be honest with you. Okay. I, I actually quite like Manchester United. Everybody knows I go there quite a lot and it's quite, it's, it's around the corner from my house and uh, it's fine by me. Uh, but the fact is yesterday when I half time during the game, I just sent a message saying, two mid-table teams mm-hmm. and he went off on one so bad that was like you know when you fished and you've got a massive bite I just couldn't stop reeling it in <laughs> uh, I, I, you know what quite interesting I don't think talk sport has ever had as much uh, publicity from uh, managers players fans obviously you've got um Gabby uh, and his relationship with Jurgen Klopp and you've got the Newcastle fans all of whom showing that they are uh, staunch talk sport listeners as well it's wonderful news for you guys um uh, and obviously for us we work for talk sport too but on a serious note us guys us guys Darren we're a family here us guys come on yeah. bring it in. <laughs> he's still a nasty newspaper journalist at her at- uh-huh. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, just on, on a very serious note, um, I think Newcastle, listen, I, I'm not going to be, I, I, you're right, I'm a journalist and I can't mention what I'm mentioning without mentioning the fact that the money plays a big part. I know, and we've seen in football history, lots of managers have had money and not spent it very wisely, but the new, the money and where it's come from will continue to be a new story. Having said that, um as far as the team is concerned, Eddie Howe's managed to get the sum of the parts together superbly well. And I would... Newcastle are better defensively than United. United are better offensively than Newcastle. So they are both... You could make a case for both, but I think Newcastle are absolutely are in the mix for European football next season. Um, OK, let's move on to uh, Brighton Nil Spurs 1. I mean, what a dull game. What a boring game. And do you know what? We had this conversation on Thursday. I was talking to Kevin Hatchard about it on the podcast. We were saying, you know, this is going to go one or two ways. It's going to be a brilliantly entertaining match where Brighton really attack and then Spurs counterattack. Or there's going to be these two systems that cancel each other out. And that's what happened. It was a dreadful match. It was terrible to watch. So boring. Um, but Harry Kane scored. They've won again. And I suppose it, it was under difficult circumstances following the death of their fitness coach, Giampiero Vitroni. Um, and, and Antonio Conte, obviously, emotionally affected by that. And our best wishes to everyone at Spurs because like, ultimately that was, it came out of the blue. It, it was a, a horrible situation. And, you know, it, it, you just couldn't only feel for the players, especially someone like Sono, I know, has been working with him a lot over the course of the last uh, few months when he's had his own troubles and he's relied on him. So it was it was it was quite a difficult thing, I think, for the Spurs players to go out and do. So maybe that contributed to the game. Uh, Cessna John and Doherty picked as the the wing backs. Uh, interesting to see who their best wing backs are, really, because that's an area where they've been trying to improve, or it's certainly an area for improvement over the course of the season. They've never really sort of found that 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 number one combination. Correct? Well, Conte's clearly not buying into Jed Spence. Um, I think he came out quite early on and said that was a a club signing, one for the future. Maybe he's got the same reservations the likes of, of Neil Warnock and Chris Wilder had when he was at Middlesbrough. But I, I think actually it was inevitable um, that we were going to see that kind of game because of the emotional situation you've spoken about and you saw how affected <clears throat> Harry Kane was in his interview afterwards. So I think it was asking a lot for Tottenham to go out and play with 
real intensity. Having said that, it's a good win. Uh, but I was on Talk Sport on Saturday morning talking about the Bournemouth takeover and we, we previewed some of the other games. And I, my confident prediction for the day was that Brighton would beat Tottenham. Um, so clearly uh, that, that didn't happen. And I think any team going to the Amex and coming away with a clean sheet and coming away with a victory can be very happy this season. And it just keeps Tottenham ticking over. I'm, I'm still I'm still yet to see a sparkling performance from them. But by and large, they're, they're picking up points to keep themselves in the mix, certainly. For the top four, they're they're not going to challenge for the title as maybe many of us expected at the start of the season. Um, you never know. They play at uh, Eintracht Frankfurt on Wednesday night. Love on Talk Sport. Uh, Bournemouth two, Leicester one. Leicester and Brendan Rodgers brought firmly back down to earth after Forest win. How damaging is that result? Because it was supposed to be the catalyst to better things, Darren, wasn't it? That thrashing of Nottingham Forest on Monday night. It's a real worry for Brendan Rodgers because it shows the result against Forest up to be quite illusory in some respects, in all respects. Yes, going forward, they do have the firepower to score goals, but defensively they were shambolic yet again. And Forest, if you look at them, they're a side still not quite sure of who they are, what their identity is, what their best team is. Um, And... Leicester, a side that were competing for European football not so long ago, should not be losing to a promoted side like Bournemouth. And they should be showing more fight, more heart, more consistency, more defensive strength. And that's the reason why it's hard to see anything other than the club parting ways with Brendan Rodgers. And not because Rodgers is a bad manager, but maybe he's just reached the end of a cycle with the club. The problem, obviously, is that they can't afford the financial package it would cost to pay him off. Otherwise, they would have made a decision a long time ago. But they're still there. And the longer the season goes, as we all know, the harder it is to get out of those nether reaches of the Premier League. Um, is Casper Schmeichel going to Nice and Danny Ward taking over the number one spot? One of the worst bits of business in Premier League history. Casper Schmeichel does not like it at Nice. He's been, I think he's been dropped actually during the course of the early part of the season. The rumours are they want to sell him and Danny Ward can't keep the ball out of his net. And actually, Danny Ward's not a bad bloke and not a bad goalkeeper, but just the whole dynamic just hasn't worked for anyone. No, and it's unsettled the Leicester defence as well. I, I actually thought Danny Ward played pretty well. Um, at the weekend. I'm not sure either goal was his fault, but those in front of him have clearly been affected by that change of goalkeeper. Johnny Evans looks like his best days are behind him. I'm not sure on Valt Fass. Um, I thought he had a terrible game at the Vitality, but let's give Bournemouth um, some credit. Gary O'Neill, Sam, someone you and I know very well. I've, I've done a big piece for TalkSport on exactly how he's masterminded this transformation from inheriting a team that lost nine at Liverpool to going five games unbeaten couple of clean sheets, a couple of comeback wins as well. I think tactically, he's brilliant. Ryan Frederick said that to me after the game, that that's his best asset. He spends a lot of time studying the opposition and tailors his game plan to suit whoever they're coming up against. He negated the threat of Madison. Big call to move Adam Smith uh, from the right side of defence to the left, really to do a man-marking job on Madison. It worked to perfection. They shut out Ivan Tony the week before. The new owner was there, went into the dressing room at full time. I think if this run continues, I can now see a scenario where Gary O'Neill keeps the job on a long-term basis. I didn't see that a couple of weeks ago. And maybe that is down to the fact that the new owner was in the stands at the weekend after her signing the paperwork. It looks like that deal will go through in the next month after the Premier League owner and director's test is passed. And because they produced such a great performance, another comeback win, 
it might hold him in good stead. I spoke to a few people at Bournemouth this week in which they were saying to me they weren't surprised about how well Gary had done because he's always shown the managerial uh, abilities and that it looked as if he is managerial material. But to hit the ground running in the way that he has has been maybe a little bit of a surprise, even to them, because this is, you know, this is, this is not unprecedented, but Bournemouth were everyone's tip to go down at the beginning of the season. And now you're looking at the table and Bournemouth are in the top 10. They're eighth at this stage of the season. That's pretty damn impressive. They're above the likes of West Ham and, and, and Leeds and Crystal Palace and Southampton. It, it, you know, it, they're above Liverpool in the table. They, yeah, they've done a very, are. very, very good job. <laughs> Careful, careful. Is this going to come back to haunt you? This, by the way, because they've got they've got only five points behind Manchester United. That can turn very, very quickly. Uh, Chelsea three, Wolverhampton Wanderers nil. Chelsea up to four, sixteen points from their eight games. If they win their game in hand, they'll nestle up to within a point of Tottenham Hotspur. And uh, bearing in mind they had a terrible start to the season, that's not a bad return. They sacked a manager, remember? But they look to be finding their groove under Graham Potter. I was there on Wednesday night. And look, let's be clear. The keystone to Chelsea performing well is Mason Mount. If he plays well, everything else seems to work fine. He's back in form. He was terrific on Wednesday night against AC Milan. He played this ball, which was just out of this world, tight on the touchline on the left-hand side, out of a small gap involving two AC Milan players, pings it over to the far side. James takes it down and starts an attack. I mean, and then on Saturday, two assists. I mean, just keep him fit, keep him in form, and you're going to be in a good place. Yeah. Um, the funny thing is that you and I disagree ever so slightly because Mount, yeah, terrific performance at the weekend. But for me, I think the key to Chelsea is that defence. Two clean sheets now in a row, no clean sheets since the start of the season before that. And once they provide that platform and that certainty within the team, the offensive players can go about their business. Havertz, Pulisic, Broja, you know, quite eye-catchingly on the score sheet as well. Um, and one interesting thing within that is that Kappa's been keeping goal and not Mendy. And I was at a press conference head of the European game the other day where uh, Potter was saying, I don't have a number one anymore. I want them both to fight for their place. And that makes the clean sheet run that they're on. But it's just starting, to be fair but it makes it even more impressive. There's a real organisation about Chelsea when everybody thought, let's not kid ourselves, that Potter making the step up might be a bit of a problem. High profile players and their egos thinking, who's this guy? And he's come in and he's had quite a smooth transition. Yeah, obviously the sight of Kepper on the team sheet makes me a little bit nervous, Crook. Um, But his, his distribution's always been very good. Yeah, and he looks like a more confident goalkeeper um, than maybe the the Kepper that we've seen previously. And I think Graham Potter has got his number one. I think it is Kepper, uh, Aretha Balaga, to be honest with you. I think he's probably just playing a bit of a game there uh, when it comes to Mendy. <laughs> I agree with both of you. Defensively, very good. Mason Mount, excellent uh, offensively. Wolves were poor, though, weren't they? Let, let, let's not beat around the yeah. bush. Wolves were really poor. Looks like, as we've mentioned, uh, Lepetegui is going to take the job. There's a bit of a delay due to a family issue, but I think he will be the new man in Molyneux. But he's got an awful lot of work to do to get that team performing. Obviously, they've lost uh, Neto to a serious injury. That's a, a big blow for them. Is Costa really going to score the volume of goals they need to stay out of trouble? Again, 
another team like those I've already mentioned who I think are right in the thick of a relegation battle and Lopetegui is going to have to come in and hit the ground running. Yep, indeed. Um, I just wonder whether or not um, that first goal for Brozier could be quite important too, because in the absence of uh, Aubameyang at the weekend, Chelsea didn't really have a focal point. They haven't got a focal point. Brozier coming in and 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 scoring that goal. It was a really well-taken goal as well from Armando Brozier. Uh, really impressive. I do worry about the number of injuries that um, Wolves get, by the way. They do get mm. a lot of big injuries lot of big problems. I wonder if that's uh, something that uh, the new manager will have to look into in terms of how they train or or whether they're overloading players or or what the issue is because there's a lot of injuries that seem to spring up there that keep players out for a long period of time. Yeah. Quick touch on the European groups. Uh, England drawn against Italy, again, Ukraine, again, North Macedonia and Malta. At least they don't have to go to San Marino, which is always good. Malta seems like a good trip for the fans. Um, Yeah, I mean, the problem here is is that they have to... They have to finish second, yeah. don't they, to get through or something like that? So it's like, you know, it should be all right. Should be all right, shouldn't it? Should be okay. Tough draw for Scotland, Norway, Spain, Georgia, and Cyprus. Uh, do you know what? I actually think if they, 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 they've got a chance there and they've already got a playoff place in the bag, uh, courtesy of their uh, performance in the Nations League. So hopefully that they will make it to Euro 2024 as well. And Wales alongside Croatia, Turkey, Armenia, and Latvia. Actually, it's not a bad group. Uh, for Wales, to be honest with you. Uh, right, boys, uh, Champions League uh, this week, AC Milan versus Chelsea Tuesday, Barca versus Inter on TalkSport 2 on Wednesday. We think that we might get, we might be trying to get hold of the Spurs game for Wednesday night as well, but we'll cross our fingers on that. That should be live on TalkSport. I'll see you both on Thursday. Enjoy your week playing chess, Darren, uh, and uh, crying into your uh, soup over the defensive performance of Liverpool. How on earth are they going to deal with Manchester City? We'll get into that on Thursday. Uh, and Alex, you might as well just bask in the glory that Manchester United have won a game away from home. Well done. I will. Thank you very much. And uh, Copenhagen Man City live on TalkSport 2 on Tuesday. You missed out the big one. Oh, no, I'm doing that for the world feed. I'm looking forward to that. So if you want to watch it on the television and you're not in the UK, then I'll uh, I'll say Can hi you to you. send me your notes? Um, uh, <laughs> what did you, you say? send me your notes? You want... <laughs> Do you know what? The other thing about that is he ain't joking. <laughs> He's not joking. Not at all. Uh, right, okay. Speak to you later. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrooks. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.